0: This is an AMI podcast. This is Double Tap. Now back to the show. Yeah, we're back for an extra special podcast-only version. Oh, this is kind of interesting, isn't it? Hello, this Hello. is new. It is. It feels all different. I don't know. I don't.
1: If I like it. Yeah, I'm not sure. I signed up for this. I mean, this is an extra day, right?
0: That's all I'm saying. Okay. Well, I will okay be sending then. in an invoice. That's
1: all I'm saying.
0: <laughs> well, this, this will be interesting. You're going to send an invoice. Oh, OK, well, that, I will look forward to that, because uh, then we'll have to teach you how to use Microsoft Word. Um, yeah. um, I guess some kind of email client. You know what? Forget it. It's too yeah, much exactly. work. I it's never going to happen. Never yeah. going to happen. Uh, no, look, we, we came back on today because we got an email from Wayne, who uh, sent in a message to us about our conversation on echolocation and mobility. And it's fair to say this is a rather long email. Now, Wayne himself suggests, you know, what you know, it's long when even the person who writes it says, get a cup of coffee. <laughs> yes. This is going to be a long one. Uh, so we didn't want to dismiss the email or try and cut the email down. I don't like doing that if I don't need to. And uh, we do have the joy of having the podcast here. So we were, we are able to put this out uh, as a, as a separate, but it does allow you to hear the email in full. So uh, shall we uh, sit back and uh, listen to the email and his comments? Yes, I'm looking forward to it. Okay, as always, Laura reads our email.
2: Hello again, lads. Just following up on my previous contribution to the echolocation debate. Laura, if you're reading this, could you put on your Gandalf voice because we're going into the land of magic and helping Bilbo Baggins, a.k.a. Sean, with getting the idea of how to learn active echolocation (laughs) principles in practice. The bad news is that it's likely to be quite long, given the topics talked about in previous episodes. So grab a cup of Horlicks and get ready for a bedtime story. I do hope you feel able to read the full message because I do think there are some important issues for us to debate as a community. You weren't around, Sean, when I mentioned flash sonar echolocation ideas as alternatives to long cane or guide dog mobility approaches. For clarity, I had meant using flash sonar echolocation techniques with long cane rather than flash sonar on its own. Although I have heard some of the kids have been able to play integrated football with sighted kids with just flash sonar skills. That's not me, though. As a beginning, I would say we are quite similar in some ways, Sean. I have retinitis pigmentosa and I think I'm a couple of years older than you. I had full daytime vision more or less with reduced night vision when I started out. As I grew older into my teens, 20s and 30s, my vision worsened into progressive field loss and night blindness. And on to now, where I have perception of light with bleaching episodes. I have no detail vision at all. Throughout this change, I had the self-conscious feelings that we all have when we first look at using a cane and publicly disclosing that we are blind or partially sighted. I started out by only taking it out from my pocket when going to work in the mornings in a quiet area, passing through trees and green areas. I only passed maybe three or four other people then, but it helped with acclimatisation. I moved on to then getting on the bus with it, and then on to continuous use of the cane all of the time. I used a long cane in a diagonal position to indicate to others that I may not see them and then moved on to two-touch technique as my vision progressed. Now, of course, I have no feelings of any kind towards the cane other than it is a brilliant tool for complete autonomous travel. As with all skills, they become subconscious abilities where you don't think about what you're doing. They are just available to you. As babies, we had to learn how to walk and actually learn how to see. It took us a long time to build these skills, but we don't recall the effort it took. Oh, don't any of you start moaning on that I'm comparing blind people to babies. I just mean skills take effort to embed but become part of you once you've incorporated them. (laughs) All that we are doing as blind people is acquiring a new set of skills to fit the new situation we are in. My mobility skills are embedded to the point where I'm not consciously thinking of having to go out, nor am I thinking anxiously. As daft as it sounds, on a couple of occasions I have forgotten that I couldn't see and set off down the street without my cane and had to turn back for it. This only happens because my memory mapping of the environment I am travelling in is complete and I am not using mental effort to travel. Now we are going to get into the weeds a bit, and this will take us into some politics around disability generally and the impact to our lives of decisions we make and how society and government policy impacts on us. I am going to say here though that I am not one of the super blind people, nor am I particularly militant or demanding of other blind people, I very much respect the emotional and psychological challenges we face as we move through to building lives as a blind person. I want to make a comparison to a situation where someone experiences a stroke. Huge resources are available to encouraging and working with someone functionally who has stroke to support that person to develop and recover their skills and assist their neurological recovery. There are few of us that would suggest to that person that they should not engage with rehabilitation or agree with that person who says that they should stop their skills recovery and training partway through their rehabilitation. We would continue to encourage their engagement because of the long-term impact to their independent lives. Stroke services begin the process and then the person can continue to improve in coming years, all very individual of course. This is not the case with blindness. There isn't the rehabilitation structure and intensity of skills training that is available for other forms of physical rehabilitation. Of course, rehabilitation workers themselves are working hard within the resources they have and within the service frameworks they have to work within. I would suggest that there is a substantial discrimination where a physical neurological event such as a stroke has enormous rehabilitation investment, including provision of adaptations and equipment, but blindness is an event where the person is expected to accept that their blindness is a functionally disabling event without the same rehabilitation priority as a stroke. Blind people ourselves internalise this belief when we were sighted and limit our own expectations and responsibility to ourselves, whatever the level of our potential might be. As much as there is the external pressures we experience, we do have a responsibility to ourselves just as the person having had a stroke does. Our action or lack of action has the direct impact upon our personal liberty and life choices that are available to us. We can't simply complain about companies, government failures etc. and then not stand up in our own lives by embracing what are fundamental life skills to building foundational autonomy and control over how we live. We are effectively in a feedback loop of negative beliefs around blindness and untruths about what you and I are able to do in reality. The evidence is in the fact that people of working age are still at 70% unemployment at a time when young people are totally into technology and work opportunities are making use of technology for their day-to-day information systems. Access to work in the UK will even provide taxi transport into work if someone is struggling with travel alongside any equipment needed. It's certainly not because of low ability that blind people are not in work. Discrimination arising from beliefs and low expectations is certainly a key driver. This brings me to the skill of flash sonar echolocation and its potential as one of the tools in our toolbox. Why is it some of us believe that flash sonar is magic, Sean, or is not achievable at some level by everyone? It is simply because a set of historical parameters and beliefs that have been overlaid onto what being blind actually means in terms of capability – Not based on truth or scientific investigation, but because of the idea that blindness is the worst thing ever to happen to someone. I have seen one or two things in my time, and let me say that blindness is not one of the worst. It's a poor card to pull from the deck, but in reality, most things are achievable without sight, just by good partnerships and good planning alongside good skills foundations. Remember that you are not in a race. You can take a year or five years to build yourself up. Just don't sit still. Moving forward builds your emotional strength and addresses anxiety. Flash sonar echolocation is like the belief that blind people could not use a flat glass touchscreen. Blind people told themselves, along with the encouragement from sighted people, that using a completely flat screen was impossible for blind people. Of course, it's a false narrative, as is the idea that flash sonar echolocation is only for a special few and an ordinary human blind person can't do it. In fact, echolocation takes place at medium frequencies of hearing – most hearing loss takes place at either high or bass frequencies as we get older. Being in the middle range of hearing means that the majority of people at any age can use it to whatever level they want to use it for. Of course, there are people who are more talented than others with any skill. There are two kinds of echolocation. Passive echolocation, where you are picking up cues from the ambient sound around you. This is the form of echolocation that a rehabilitation worker teaches you. Flash sonar echolocation is essentially a technique where you are generating the sound wave through your tongue click. The echo from your resulting sound wave returns back to you. The click from your mouth is best, simply because the sound wave you have generated is returning to your head area where your ears are luckily positioned. The difference between the two is that you are in charge of the sound wave you receive rather than just receiving elements of sound you come across in the environment. Of course, you make use of both types, depending on what you need. So, Sean, here's your first lesson in practising magic in your home environment so that you can experience the principle of flash sonar. You can or were able to download the actual programme of how to develop flash sonar yourself from the World Access for the Blind website, if that's still around. You can basically teach yourself. When your leg is fixed, Sean, or yourself, Stephen, could do this as well as anyone else listening, when you're on your own, so not embarrassed or to help you focus, take a deep breath and then beginning making a constant shh sound, like the white noise of a radio. Walk through a door space from one room to another. You will hear sound changes from the room you are in. You will feel the closeness of the door frame, including interpreting its thickness as you pass it, and then hear the sound change into your new room. You can do this as an exercise to tune your ear into sound changes and how spaces open up, along with being able to tell that you are passing by a completely silent object, but determining that it is there. You can then switch to the click technique just around your house doing the same exercise, perhaps walking towards your kitchen door with the door closed, and hear how you can perceive the distance between yourself and how the door feels like it is coming into your body space. Sean, you have the great opportunity to do this click approach when you eventually find yourself going out into your shed again. Obviously, you already know how far away your shed is, etc., but you can practice how the sound changes as you walk towards it and the feeling that it is in your body space, and you can prepare to contact it with your cane. You will develop a definite awareness of objects in your path and judge their distance and position. In so doing, build your confidence in the active echolocation approach you're using. You can do the same as you return to your house. You can transfer these same techniques to other environments by practising your echolocation in places that you have a memory map of, so that you can tune yourself into how it feels when you are actively echolocating with different activity. Again, making the point that you are in charge of sound wave generation and don't have to be clicking everywhere, just in places that it's useful or matters to you. Over time, you can open up the environments that you use echolocation with – It may be, for example, that you only need it to find that tree or lamppost that you use as a landmark, instead of having to contact it with your cane. Accessing more advanced information about your environment that is under your control increases confidence and reduces anxiety because you are not hoping or guessing. You are acting deliberately and purposefully. I mentioned trees and lampposts above, but you could also use it for parked cars as you cross the road, so you're not using hope to check that a parked car isn't there. You can locate it, make gentle contact with it with your cane and trail around it to the pavement. Or, when your echolocation is improving, you will hear the gap between the parked cars and won't necessarily need to trail. From a scientific perspective, tests have shown that human vision centres of the brain through the visual cortex are actually able to convert sound waves into a form of visual interpretation, just as bats and dolphins do. The key difference is that bats and dolphins are using ultrasound or high-resolution sound waves – We can only do a click that is not on an ultrasound frequency, so our sound resolution is extremely low, but functional. The bad news is that we don't only qualify for blindness using light energy, we are also blind using sound wave energy as well. So, blind is a bat on both fronts. Lol. The bottom line is that flash sonar echolocation is no different to any other skills. You do need to practice to get good at it. Some car drivers become Michael Schumacher, minus the skiing accident, and others drive a Robin Reliant. Most of us are somewhere in the middle. Building your key skill set embeds resilience and moves you forwards emotionally and psychologically. This opens opportunities and paths to a new life direction if you want it. I am not one of the blind pride advocates because I know the power of vision that we have lost, but I am a a stand-up-and-walk-forward-into-a-better-future person. Possibly Bruce Lee had a good saying, Be water, my friend. Water is soft and can allow hard things to pass through and over it. This is a good principle when experiencing challenging feelings. Don't fight them, allow them to be part of you so that you work through them and let them pass away from you. Skills development is an important tool to achieve change in these underlying feelings. Water can also be a powerful force and can impose itself in its environment. This is your strength of character and your determination to push on and build the life you want, not the life others tell you blindness leaves you with. This is a fallacy. If you are sitting at home with wants and wishes, take the steps you need to take to achieve them. This will no doubt mean you're learning new skills, maybe starting with voluntary work in the area where one day you would like employment or the outdoor adventure you want to experience. Of course, it's not always easy, but you have the rest of your life either to stay where you are or take the small steps that eventually become miles and puts you in that completely different landscape you want. If you're in the UK, there are rehabilitation services you can plug into, either through your local social services or your local society for the blind. You could even use your personal independence payment to buy a rehabilitation worker privately if you don't want to mess about with formal services. Remember that you don't have to pressure yourself with time. You can take your time and allow any new skills to settle into yourself, just as you did when you were learning any other skill in life. Wishing everyone well for the future, Wayne.
1: Wow! Wow. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that wasn't that wasn't an email. That was a a dissertation. That was a a thesis, and I don't mean just because of the length. I thought that was amazing.
0: Yeah, I did too. And I think if ever there was, if I was to have the ability to sit and write my thoughts on personal responsibility and what that really means, Yeah, that's it. That yeah, absolutely. It. You know, and because people often think, pers- you know, it's, it's interesting the way that Wayne puts it, you know, that it's not about saying take personal responsibility and therefore fix everything tomorrow. It's take time, take your time over things. You know, you will get there, but you have to try. You know, no one's going to do it for you. And, and we we live in a world today which is full of people who are victims. People almost like being victims. That's where, and that's not just, that's not in the disabled community or exclusively to the disabled community. It's across the world. Mm-hmm. Everybody seems to talk about, you know, well, this happened to me and I'm a survivor of this. And I'm a, and you think, okay, I get it. It's important to, to acknowledge problems, but you, you can't live with the problem forever. You have to move on from it. Otherwise, you're just standing still.
1: Yeah, the standing no, still thing is, is is a trap that's easy to fall into. I've, I've done it. I did it for years. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, and I did, I did go through that period. I mean, funnily enough, during the pandemic, I thought I would be, you know, I wanted to learn Braille properly, like fully. And I thought to myself when the pandemic started, this is the time to do it because I've got the time. Now, I didn't really have the time, if I'm honest, because I was working very hard at that point. Yeah. Um, I was working with the RNIB. We were doing the shows here. It was a very You're busy time. twice as hard as you used to. Yeah, it was difficult. Yes. You know, It was more difficult than I thought it was going to be. Uh, but in saying that, I kind of relished it because I was at home. I wanted to be busy. I wanted to be doing something. And I actually got to a point where I just couldn't put the news on anymore. I couldn't put the TV on anymore. Yeah, I just couldn't watch that news every day. And that was all anyone was talking about. And I just couldn't deal with it. So it was nice to kind of break away from it a little bit and just focus on the job. And thankfully, with our job, it was tech. We didn't talk about it that much. We, we, I remember doing Double Tap at that time, and we, we would kind of touch on it barely. But, you know, we kind of saw ourselves as the place to go where we didn't talk about that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, honestly, there's so much in Wayne's email I could talk about. I could talk for days on this. Um, I don't even know if there is a lot to,
1: that we can sort of put any more well, the detail one, the one on. It, it was so really good.
0: Stands out. The one thing that really stands out, I think, is a really interesting discussion and I'd love to get some people on here who talk about rehabilitation for blind people specifically to discuss. And that is the idea that Wayne talks about, where there's almost a, there's a difference between other rehabilitation for yes. other, like, for example, stroke, as as Wayne says, and someone who's blind. There's, there's the, and this, this is a really complicated area because it comes down to fundamentally what we think blindness is. That's, I think, the problem with... Part of part of the problem here. So, if you think blindness is something that needs to be fixed, then we need lots and lots of rehabilitation. We need to be, you know, becoming as sighted as possible, essentially in our approach to things, to do things better. And if you think that blindness is something we should celebrate and we should enjoy and we should have have pride pride. in, come on now. Well, have pride in, yeah. And and we and we should be able to enjoy our lives as blind people we're not going to be sitting miserable all the time. Yeah. Then does that take a different approach? Does that require a different approach to that? Because in essence if you're saying because that's the whole thing with with stroke or with a physical disability if someone you know breaks their leg like you who breaking your leg, you're getting physiotherapy, you're getting help with that, you're getting equipment. That's exactly what I was gonna bring up. Yeah. In, in the blind world, you know, no one's saying, Hey, you now need to learn Braille, you now need to be learning a screen reader. You don't get th- that's not the next step outside of the, the doctor's waiting room. No, what are you given? You're given, hey, there's, you know, this sight
1: loss organisation uh, if that you, you can contact if you want to. Yeah, exactly. I remember there was been going blind, there's, it's, there's nothing more it. we can do. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And whereas, yeah, that's the thing I was going to bring up because he mentioned stroke there. Wayne mentioned stroke. Absolutely. It's, it's not a, hey, there's an organisation you can go to to, you know, relearn these skills it's part of the service offered. When I did my leg, you got physio. I've got physio coming tomorrow. Exactly that. Yet you don't get that with blindness. And that is that is an excellent point. Why is
0: that? And that would make so much sense, wouldn't it? Instead of thinking about, I mean, it, it can't all be on charity. It can't all be on non-profits to fix this and, and take charge of this. It has to be, and this is where, you know, I, I think the reason a lot of the, the services that we're kind of hoping would exist don't is because there are just no services that are just i mean how many times you you did it once i did it too i called up my local authority my local government and said um can you offer me any support with braille class yeah and i was told there isn't any yeah there's, there's no call thing. for it no yeah, call for it you were told no yeah. call for it no one really wants it. what there's no blind people in britain want to learn braille <laughs> no. nobody Really? <laughs> no. I think you might be wrong on that one. I think it's one of those maybe no one's ever bothered to ask the question or we just assume that, you know, technology will be the answer to everything, as Technology's in replaced audio it, technology. Yeah. And that's dangerous. You know, that brings us back into that subject around, you know, the value of Braille and all the rest of it, right? And it's not just about Braille, of course it's not. There's other things. But essentially what I'm saying is that Yeah, it kind of brings a lot of strands of thought together for me. Like I've often said, there should be some kind of certification for using assistive tech. We should all be at a standard. In the same way that when you apply for a job, someone says you need to be proficient in being able to type X number of words per minute, or you need to be able to, you know, work as an Excel spreadsheet. There should be a requirement, I think, for us as blind people to have a similar level of achievement or attainment in using a screen reader. Or using, you know, or using Braille, or whatever it might be. Yeah. You know, because, for example, let's say you want to become a lawyer and you're blind. That's a lot of reading. There's a lot involved in that. And that is me being, you know, like I know nothing about law or lawyers. <laughs> right. But you know, yeah. I get the impression a lot of reading is part of that. You know, so there's probably a minimum requirement, maybe not set by anyone, but maybe should be. And this is what I mean. So once you start having those standards, you then need to build the mechanisms that achieve them. And then you start to realize the capability because then what happens is it's interesting because when you actually think about this logically, if you set the standard to say that a blind person in a job should achieve this in in of themselves, so this amount of you know braille reading per minute or you know the ability to use us a screen reader effectively to do X, Y, Z, you know, not necessarily all of them, but maybe part of that. Once you actually yeah. think about that, you set that, that that's that's that requirement then the mechanisms have to come in because you need to build that. And yeah. maybe that's the problem. Maybe, and maybe that's part of the issue that ultimately we f- we attitudes fail around blindness because it's seen as, you know, we have seen it for so long it's just something that happens. Uh, you know, because a lot of people do think that. They just think, well, you, you know, if you're older, you lose your vision, that's it. It's just part of life. You lose your hearing, you lose your eyesight, that's it. And of course, that's not it. Uh, And it's also not the end. And I have to tell you, you know, I haven't mentioned this before on the show, but I'll say it now. I'm not going to name names, obviously, for for obvious reasons. But, you know, a friend of mine has cancer. And I don't know how long he's going to be here. And he said to me that he said, despite having cancer, he'd much rather have that than blindness. Yeah. And (laughs) I I, I can't get my head around that. Yeah. I, I and I said I said I can't get my head around how you think that. You'd rather Well, you know. I mean I just you know, yeah. it's just just beyond me, right? And I, I just it's amazing to me. But there are people who think, and there are a lot of people, who think that blindness is the worst thing. There there are studies on this. Studies of people who say it's the most terrifying thing, and we've got to stop that. I don't know how how do we do it? I, I I have often said, and I'm not alone in this, a lot of people have said that employment is the answer. Because being in the workplace, showing capability is the best advocacy you can actually do because when you're in a job, you know blind people, because of the nature of them doing their job, shows other people by proxy that you're able to do something you're able to do the job that I think is part of the it's only part of the issue, but it does help in a big way, yeah because then you're seen on a level as opposed to someone less than And this is why I talk about personal responsibility from the point of view of us being skilled up. Because if we are blind people in a job and you're continually turning to the person next to you and saying, hey, could you help me with this? Hey, could you help me with that? Hey, could you read the screen? Hey, could you do this? You're just seen as less than. Yeah, it's true. It doesn't work. And that's on us, you know? So, but but again, it's on us, but it's also on the organizations to make sure there's tools, skills, resources, classes, education to achieve all that. Yeah. It's a big problem. And it feels like we're starting at nothing in some ways because we've not really got a lot of this. So I think that's that that point he makes about the comparison excellent with rehabilitation point. is really kind of stirring that up for me. I've never really thought about it from that point of view yet. But yeah,
1: I yeah. absolutely agree. It's it's a good point. Why are we at that stage? It was excellent. excellent. Yeah,
0: Wayne, thank you so much for uh for getting in touch with us on that and sending in that fantastic email. Uh I do request, I think Laura requests as well, that they're not all that length um but if but we do appreciate the ones you send in, and we do appreciate the time you spend- r- r- uh, writing out those emails because they do mean a lot to us, they really do, and yeah. uh they provokes this really interesting conversation here, but this is a conversation we will return to uh that is it for today uh that is our little podcast extra for you. I hope you enjoyed it and um i'm sure it 's got you tapping away your keyboards as we speak or sending messages <laughs> to us uh, or voicemails. You can email feedback at double tap dot com call our listener line one eight seven seven 803 4567. We will be back on Monday and we'll be talking all about what we'll be talking about Monday. Uh, oh, the Victor Reader stream. Oh, Third it's not generation. going to be another run. Okay, good. No, no, good. this is interesting. Good. This is interesting. We'll be talking about the new, we've got someone who is coming on who's got hands on with oh. the new device and we're going to get all our questions answered. So check that out on the next episode of Double Tap on the Feed. Uh, that's it for today. Thank you, Sean, and thank you, Wayne. Thank you.
1: Love Double Tap? Did you know we're on the TV too? Check out brand new episodes of Double Tap TV on AMI-TV every Tuesday at 8pm Eastern. Or binge on all episodes online at ami.ca forward slash Double Tap. We're also on YouTube. Search for Double Tap to catch our episodes there too.
0: Alright matey, I know you need to go so I'll let you go.
1: All right, mate. See you in a bit.
0: Thanks for that, man. Bye. No worries. See you, mate. Join me every couple of weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider.